may be seated. Again, if you'd like to turn to your Galatians chapter 5, we've been called to freedom. We've been called to freedom. You know, one of the interesting things about the Civil War is that it was fought, it was one of the bloodiest wars, actually the bloodiest war in our history. You know, during that time frame, uh, a president had been assassinated, Lincoln, and there was an amendment to the Constitution that had been signed into law. The amendment stated that those who were once enslaved men, women, and children are now legally emancipated. Legally free. Now, can you imagine that, being under the bondage all their life, and now ultimate, all, all of a sudden they were free men. Free. But this is the interesting thing. Amazingly many, amazingly, many continued living in fear and squalor as though it had never happened. In a context of hard-earned freedom, slaves chose to remain slaves. There were actually slaves that remained slaves. They didn't, they didn't know what else to do. They, that's all they had ever known is slavery. What do I do now? My master's gone. The plantation is burned, but what do I do? Well, I think sometimes Christianity is like that. Christians are like that. Not Christianity. Christians. Sometimes Christians are, are freed from the sin, but it's almost like we don't know what to do with it. So how do I live? How do I, how do I act differently? And we go into the old patterns of living because that's the only thing we knew. Now, we're told that Christ has set us free, but we don't live it out that way. And that's, that's the reason that Galatians, the book of Galatians, is called the Magna Carta of Christian, Christian liberty. It's the, it's the document of our freedom, as it were. It's one of the uh, books of the Scriptures, this and Romans especially, that show us our freedom. That's why we've taken 20-some weeks to look at the book of Galatians, because it shows us our freedom in Christ. Again, we need to live out our freedom, our liberty. And it must be defended from two different enemies. And I don't mean the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm saying two different teachings that work against liberty. The one is legalism. Legalism says you must do something to earn salvation. Our freedom in Jesus Christ, you always have to be on guard for legalism. By the way, legalism doesn't, doesn't just come from those who want to earn their salvation. There are a lot of, get this, Christians who are very legalistic. In fact, so much so that we're going to, after the Christmas, you know, we have the Christmas program next week, and then we have the Christmas message. I think I'm going to do Luke 2 um, on the, what is it, the 18th, 19th. But anyways, once we get back, first of the year, we're going to be looking at legalism in the in the Christian life because I think there's a lot of legalism somehow we think if I do this 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 now now God is pleased and we get on that treadmill to try to please God when Christ already pleased him and if we're in Christ we're pleasing to God by the way I'm not saying that you disregard standards legalism and standards are two different things we should have high standards we should be deeply committed to one another we should be in a small group because that's where God helps us to grow. But it can't be done through legalism. But that's for another day. But the other great enemy is not only legalism, but license. License says this, well, if I'm saved by grace, then my sinning doesn't matter to God. 
And that's what we're going to be really looking at today. But just kind of put that in your mind. Though That is the basis of that. That's the whole message. You see legalism in verse 1. Okay. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. That's legalism. You see license in verse 13. You've been called to freedom, but don't use your liberty, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So really Paul in this this passage is transitioning. Throughout the entire book he's been talking about legalism. Somehow thinking that you can get saved by works, doing something, going to church, doing whatever. And now he's, he's transitioning because, again, people swing in their teaching. And the, and the fear is this in Paul. Um, all right, I've already told them very clearly in almost five to more than five chapters that you can't have legalism, but now maybe they're going to swing over to licentiousness and license and like thinking doesn't matter how you live. So again, we have to be careful. We have to understand what God would want for the Christian. You know, what's interesting about God is He is a God of freedom. Just think about this one verse, 2 Corinthians 3. It says this, Now, the Lord is the, Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, if you are, you are not one of Christ, you don't have freedom. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord takes up residence in your heart, there's freedom. When you seek to walk with God... There is freedom. By the way, when you decide not to walk with God, you fall right back into bondage. There is freedom where God is. There's not freedom with Satan. There's not freedom with sin. But there's freedom with God. God is a God of freedom. Well, if you want to take your outline, if you haven't got it, let me help you fill in a couple things. Because these are important. Again, the first is, Roman numeral 1, standing firm in our freedom against legalism. And I just said, again, verse 1 is legalism. He's, He's... He's saying, listen, we have to stand firm. Remember that word is like a soldier. That's what it was used for. A Roman soldier, when they would get in formation, would stand firm. They would literally connect uh, the shields. The shields were about this high. They would raise them just a little bit, connect. They literally had connections, and it was just like a wall. But it had to be that each soldier stood firm. And Paul says, listen, fight for the truth. That's where, When he uses the word, these soldier terms, these war terms, he's saying, listen, are you willing to fight for freedom? Are you willing to fight for what Jesus Christ has done for you? Fight for truth. Fight for truth against legalism. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Well, when you come across a friend or a neighbor or a family member who is in a system of works righteousness, are you willing to speak to them and say, that will lead you to hell? Many times we don't act like a soldier at that point. I don't want to offend them. Being a soldier is pretty offensive. (laughs) Soldiers kill people, and I'm not advocating that, but you get the point? I mean, we stand for truth, you're going to be in a war. Right? We've all experienced that. You had that moment, you could have spoke truth, and you backed down. That wasn't being a soldier. Again, let's remember what Jesus Christ has set us free from. And this is a little bit of review, but you've got to get this, because this leads us in verse 13. Christ has set us free from sin. And not only sin, but the guilt of sin. Guilt. You know, Romans says we are free from sin. Romans says we are justified freely by His grace. Christ's sacrifice on the, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we found freedom 
He, he forgave us. Again, we, you know, I've been saved. How many years have I been saved? 35, 75, 35 years. Is that correct? Yeah, 35 years, 1975. Sometimes I lose the, the glory of that I am free from my sin. I am free from my guilt. I, I can sin, and that sin that I did yesterday or three days ago or just 10 minutes ago is not going to send me to hell. Because when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he paid for it all. He said, it is finished. It is complete. It's in your, it's in your life as well if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. We've been set free from sin. Not only that, we've been set free from the curse of the law. Galatians 3, and this is going back a couple chapters. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The curse... The curse. We are free from the crushing yoke of the law. In other words, the law says, Thou, you must do this, this, this perfectly. Not one stain, not one sin, not one breakage of the law or else you're condemned. And yet Christ took that crushing yoke on himself when he hung on the cross. He kept the law. He, he kept the law in his life and he kept the law and, and, uh, uh, and the penalty of the person who broke the law he took on the cross. So again, on the cross, Christ took the curse and punishment that we deserve because of our sin. And that's good news. <laughs> Next, when you're willing to hand out a card for the Christmas program or speak the gospel, just remember that he took the curse. That curse that the rich man of, in Lazarus is still in Hades at this moment because he didn't have anyone to take his curse. Third, Jesus Christ has set us free from spiritual death because Christ not only died but rose again. We who are in Christ have rose with him, right? Have risen with him. Death no longer is, is something that... Spiritual death. No, we may experience physical death. I wonder how many of us will experience physical death this next year. I wonder if there's anyone who won't be here next year. Who knows? I may not be here. Well, we didn't know that pastor had a bad heart and, you know, he's gone. But not, sp- not spiritual death. Not spiritual death. Romans says this, the spirit of, the, of, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And even if I die, remember, even if I die, it's sleep. That's how the scripture re- refers to the Christian who dies. He's just Because the idea is absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? So that's... And then also Christ has set us free from the devil because it says in Hebrews that our whole lifetime we were subject to bondage to him. But when Christ died, we are no longer... He's not our master. He's not our father. I just want to ask you, have you ever been set free from the the curse of sin? Have you ever... Is your guilt on your shoulders or have you received Christ as your savior? You know... I know that with a group this size, there are some, I'm sure, that who are not saved. You may have been coming to this church for 15, 20 years. Boy, time flies, you know that? I was, I was looking at some of the old uh, uh, directories. How, but, you know, just because you've been here, just because you taught, just because you might be a member or maybe a deacon, maybe even an elder, it doesn't mean that you're saved. It just means that you've done something. Make sure that you have put your faith and trust in only one Savior, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice and his substitute for us on the cross. Because that's the only way that you can have a relationship with God the Father. 
Again, sin, death, devil, all those, those are the, the tyrants of humanity have been destroyed by Christ on the cross. By the way, you know, I was thinking about this card, Reflections of Christmas. I hope you've been praying. We had 100 people that said they would be willing to pray. Sometimes we sign up for something and forget to pray. By the way, if you did, that first thing you should do when you leave, or right here, Lord, forgive me for making a commitment that I didn't hold to, but then start praying. But you know, I, I go to the, the back, the, the bottom. By the way, I have the opportunity to share this, week, or this, this Christmas season. I'm going to be the one that shares. But you know, I was looking at the last three. It says, these are the things we're praying for. The love of Christ would be reflected, hopefully in our lives. Hopefully people see a difference. Sometimes that first initial walking with another person and saying, boy, they're different. They handle life differently. We reminded a couple weeks ago of some who were baptized that made the statement that they were watching a man and they said, he's different. I would hope that the love of Christ is reflected in us. You know, that lives eternally would be impacted. Now, do we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ? I trust that that's what you're praying for. I, I pray this, that the, the message will be very clear, uh, that people's hearts will be stirred, by the way, if someone gets saved, it's really the Spirit of God that's working. That's great because the pressure's off of me. It's not like I have to have a certain amount of uh, checks to say, okay, I did a good job. But the point is this. We do want to have the message be clear, correct? And the heart has to be prepared. But let, let me also say this, that when it says lives eternally impacted, that should also be our lives. Don't make this whole Christmas thing about unsaved. The gospel is good for not only the unsaved, but it's good for the saved. If we believe the gospel, not just for salvation, but if we really walk in the path of the gospel, if we really meditate on all that Christ did on the cross, that will transform your life as a Christian. Right? So as you come next week, I trust that the blessing will be more than just the person that doesn't have Christ. It would be all of us. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to hear the, the, the words of the gospel sung to, as far as music. And then finally, God exalted. God exalted. You know, this is not about us, our church, anything else, right? May the Father be exalted through this. May the message be exalted. So again, that's what we're doing, and, and that's because Christ has rescued us from legalism. We don't have to earn our salvation. It's free. It's free in Christ. But now Paul turns the gears in verse 13, and he says, but let, let's, let's be careful of the other danger, because legalism is one danger, thinking you can earn your salvation. And again, we're going to in a couple of weeks look at Christians who think somehow they can make themselves more acceptable to God by their checklist. That's legalism. And, and, and well, you'll see all the legalists. There's a lot of legalism. I mean, as I've been studying this, I find myself legalistic. It's like, yeah, yeah, I put people on blocks and you know this person does this this and this therefore they must be that spiritual and well this person kind of dropped out a while ago so they must be down here spiritually Eh, maybe maybe not anyways that's legalism that's for another day but then license license so again roman numeral two is stand firm in our freedom against license license being the opportunity for the flesh So you've been given liberty, you've been given freedom, but don't use that freedom as an opportunity for your own flesh to live out itself. Again, this is the other threat to freedom. 
you might say, well, give me some other words for license. Loose living. (laughs) And one person said that. Just loose living. No law. No standards. Um, You know, in fact, sometimes the person that wants to do this, they'll cry, you know, when we try to have a standard. Don't be a legalist. Now, we're not talking about being legalists. That's way over there. But you do should have standards. Again, we have to be careful that we're not letting the pendulum swing way over here when that's unbiblical as well. The Oxford English Dictionary defines license as, quote, a liberty of action, especially when excessive. That's the key. When it's excessive, it's a disregard of the, of the law of propriety. It's, a, it's an abuse of freedom. It's an abuse. Yes, we've been free. But here in a moment, you're going to see what we've been free to do. It's not free to please myself. It's not free to do as I please. It's actually free to please God and to serve one another out of love. There's theological dictionary. And I, again, I don't go to dictionaries much, but again, when, when you hear this word license, I, I, maybe there's a big question. Well, what are you talking about? I understand legalism, you know, work salvation. Well, license is, you know, you get saved, but now you can just live as you please. Thayer's theological dictionary said license is the liberty to do as one pleases, whereas legalism demands responsibility without freedom. In other words, you must, no freedom, that's legalism. <coughs> license grants freedom without responsibility. Hey, there's freedom and no responsibility. By the way, does your kids ever live like that? Kids live like that a lot of times. You know, give me the freedom, not the responsibility. Oh, no, no, no. With freedom comes responsibility. Well, let's face it. When God brings you into his family, yeah, I'm, I'm giving you freedom. There's freedom. But wait a second. There's responsibility. There is responsibility here. There's things that you must do. Again, Americans are free-loving people, aren't we? We want freedom. Freedom. I, I go back years ago. There was a famous uh, State of the Union address by FDR. I think it was 1941, and he mentioned the four freedoms that each man should have. Some were found in the Constitution, some weren't. The freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom from want, the freedom from fear. By the way, those are all good. It's great, you know, to have those. I don't know if it's our right. Really, we have no rights. But, you know, freedom, freedom. Unfortunately, these freedoms sometimes are taken over here like I have the freedom without responsibility. Actually, um, the, the free love movement of the 60s was kind of like that. You know, free love, do whatever you want, fulfill yourself, please yourself. I don't want the responsibility. So again, we have to make sure we, we don't fall as a Christian for sure. Man, that's, that's troublesome thinking as it were. Because again, the Apostle Paul understood that license poses a great threat to liberty just as much as legalism does. Man, we have to understand, because I've heard this over the years. Well, yeah, you know, if you have standards, it's legalism. That's wrong. It's almost like we know we want to go as far over here with freedom as possible, like push the edge. Well, of course it's okay for a Christian to watch an R-rated movie. Of course it's okay to you know, watch nudity and, you know, listen to the Lord's name used 25 times and no big deal. Wait, we're not talking that is the freedom issue, right? There is standards out there. 
Again, you have to be careful how you're... Because sometimes we then put people in a box and say, well, if they do that, then this is where they're at. And now then they're falling into legalism. Do you see how it's hard to walk this line? You want to make sure that Christ is the focus. He's exalted. You don't lose it with freedom without responsibility. But to walk the path is hard. It's a, as one person said, it's a thin line. And that's why it's going to take us a few weeks to go through it, I think. Well, let, let me give you a couple things under this um, standing firm in our freedom against license. The first is this. You are not free to indulge in carnality. When Paul says you're free, he's, he's not saying you have, a, you have freedom with carnality, i.e. the opportunity of the flesh. We're not free to do that. The NIV says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. The word flesh there means more than this. It's not just the body. It's really the sinful inclination of doing evil. The flesh is the sin principle. It's the old self, the old man, what was left after Christ. And it's still here. And and that's why we want to get out of this body. That's why we want to see the Lord. We want to be glorified because we want to leave because that's the appendage, as it were, of the old is this flesh. We still have this sinful inclination. It's the part of me that does not, wanna, uh, does not want what God wants. It's my corrupt human nature and all its weakness and depravity. The flesh refers to the unspiritual life of the whole person which is inclined to sin. By the way, do you see that even in yourself? Because sometimes people become not too sensitive to where they are spiritually as far as... Do you see the flesh operating? That's what I'm asking. And sometimes we see the big, you know, well, of course, you know, sexual sin, that's the big one. Or, you know, murder, you don't want to do that. That's the work of the flesh. But I'm just saying this inclination to have my way. That's the inclination. I just want it my way. I want to be right. I don't want to be, you know, ever looked upon as being wrong. I don't want you to consider anything that I might, you know, kind of put me in a bad situation that way. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, flesh. You see the flesh operating in your life. Because sometimes we, you know, some of us got, when we were saved, we were pretty moral when we got saved. We knew that we needed Christ because we sensed guilt, but maybe we didn't sense it as deep as it really was. And so we move into the Christian life, and sometimes the flesh operates pretty strong in a Christian and we don't really recognize it because, well, you know, we all, I always had my way this way and everybody seemed to be okay with it and now I just moved in my Christian life and I still have my own way and everybody seems to be okay with it. The, the flesh is pretty powerful. I'm, the flesh is very powerful. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle. But here Paul is saying, listen, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. A true believer must resist the pull of the flesh. But I think it takes a sensitive believer, a sensitive, sensitive to God's spirit to start seeing where that flesh pulls its ugly head up to. Again, sometimes we we get into patterns of life and people know who you are and what you are and what you're like and you just keep going down the path. But from God's perspective, he'd say, you're really selfish. You always want to have your own way, even as a Christian. Look at your marriage. Look at your kids. Look at how you treat people. You you, you need to get sensitized to that you're allowing the flesh. That's not the spirit. 
Let's be careful. Because he says this, don't let the, don't let your liberty, uh, do not use your liberty as an opportunity. That word opportunity, or NIV says indulge, comes from the military term for a base of operation. Like if you, some, some are fighting in Afghanistan. Well, they're not just fighting all over the place. They have a base of operation. And then from there they go out and fight, and then they come back to the base, right? Then go out and fight, and then come back to the base. And see what he's saying here. In other words, we must not allow our flesh to use our liberty or freedom in Christ as a beachhead to launch a spiritual attack against us and to get us to sin. Our flesh can be the, 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 the beachhead, the, the point of operation. It, you know, we, we sin, but we don't see it many times as coming from there. Well, no, I sin because my wife irritated me. No, no, it's my flesh. It wasn't because my kid used my car. It was because of my flesh. Okay? It's not your boss, and it's not your medication. It's the flesh. If you sin, it's your flesh. Okay? The, the, oppor- um, the opportunity, the base of operation, you see that the base of your... Op- because, again, if I, if I say that, you know, really, my, my problems in life really are all related to her. <laughs> I mean, my marriage would be really good if it wasn't for her. Right? I mean, if I didn't have seven kids, six of which are home, sometimes they're sinful. I mean, they bother me, you know, so obviously it's their problem too, you know. Sometimes the church irritates me. So, you know. There's a lot of blame shifters out there. A lot of blame. By the way, if if she's the issue, then, you know, I need to get her to counsel. Um, (laughs) Right? Well, that's really what I need. I mean, you know, I'm okay. It's her problem. Um, so, you know, we you know, start working on her. Um, okay, you, see, we can laugh about that, but sometimes the base of operation is here and we don't see it. We, we can become desensitized. One of the things that we should be praying for ourselves is, Lord, make me sensitive to your spirit of what you want to do in my life. Don't let me just walk in those well-worn paths that I've walked for, well, for me, for 49 years. And a lot of that time as a Christian. But sometimes I'm really not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are sinful actions. So again, the base of operation. Again, I'm saved by God's marvelous grace. But it doesn't mean that I can just sin as I please. In fact, over in Romans 6, look at Romans 6. And I'm sure some of you have had this been rolling through your mind. Why don't you say Romans 6? Because this is what Paul is talking about, Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, you're saved by grace. Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Now, have you tur- I, I had you turn here because let's even read a little bit farther. Again, you've died to sin. What do you mean I died to sin? I still sin. Well, as far as the power of sin in your life, you're dead to that. Uh, as far as you're dead to sin, as far as you can't go back. See, before you got saved, before you said, Lord, I need you. I need you as my Savior. I repent of my sin. I believe on you. Before that point, you weren't dead to sin. Actually, when you sinned, it, it actually gave you some fulfillment. But now you're dead to that. Every time you sin, you cannot have the same fulfillment as before you were saved if you're a Christian. But then he explains it, because part of the Christian walk is not just 
living it, it's knowing about it, understanding what happened to us. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Or we're baptized literally into His death. That's, where I, that's why I've died to sin. Therefore, we were buried with Him through the baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Based on the baptism, that's why we walk in newness of life. Let's just read a couple more verses, three more. For if we have been united together with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. I mean, that just makes sense. If you've died with Him, you're going to be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that the old man, the old flesh, was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before salvation, slaves of sin. After salvation, not slaves of sin. Sometimes we can fall into sin. For we who, for we who have, for he has died. Let me start over. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If you've died, you've been free. By the way, that is huge in the Christian life. I remember times in my life when I started totally understand. Wait a second. All those things that I struggle with, I can't keep doing because they they're not like it was before I was saved. I died to sin. I was baptized in Christ. I, raised, I was raised to newness of life. We have to convince ourselves that those are truths. They are truths. And so as, as those are truths, now we can walk in newness of life. Again, real freedom comes when Christ frees us from sin, not to sin. He's freed us from sin. We don't have to sin. We're no longer dead in sin. We are now dead to sin. That's what Romans 6 is all talking about. So again, the truth, and by the way, I kind of split your outline kind of odd. I gave you a main thought of the passage, but let me give you a main truth. Pleasing yourself is enslaving. See, Christ has set us free, but does that mean that we can never be enslaved? Oh, we can be enslaved. What are some things we can be? Obviously, sensuality, sexuality, those things can enslave you real quick. But worry can enslave you. Anger, fear, selfishness, right? All those things, any of those sins of the flesh can still be enslaving. Even though we're, we're dead to sin, we can allow ourselves to go back and allow us to be pulled. We have to watch out. See, pleasing yourself, license. That's what I'm trying, that's why I'm saying pleasing yourself. License, in other words, thinking that I can just do as I please, is enslaving. In fact, Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin on a continual basis, it's in the present tense, is a slave to sin. He's talking about the unsaved. But also you can be enslaved. Some of you are enslaved. Some of you are enslaved right now. Something's been wearing on your soul and it happens over and over and it's been happening for year after year. I would say this, reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ, a select few, and get help if you are enslaved. But again, it might not be sexual sin. I'm not saying just that. I'm saying you might be enslaved to always, always, always thinking negative. You can't see a bright spot on this world. Well, wait. Paul says, think on these things, and they're all the things of God in Philippians 4.8. I mean, again, there's so many sins out there, we're not going to go through the list. But the point is, is we can be enslaved. 
In fact, in fact Peter says this, while, while they promise them liberty, this is a false teacher, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Now that's talking about the unsaved teachers, but again, they try to move us to slavery. I found an interesting story about a, a Haitian pastor. He shared this parable one day to his congregation about the need of total commitment to Christ. He said a man wanted to sell his house for $2,000 and finally found a man who wanted to buy it. All right, that's pretty cheap, $2,000, but probably just a hut. But the man was too poor, and so he could only come up with $1,000. He wanted two, but he only could come up with 1000 So this is what the guy said. He said the owner agreed to sell for 1000 but with one stipulation, a single nail sticking out above the front door would remain as his property, just that one nail. This would be the, the one part of the house he would, remain, would retain his uh, ownership of. The other man agreed. Years later, the original owner of the house wanted it back. But the new owner refused to sell the house back to him at any price. The first owner, therefore, went out and found a carcass of a dead dog and hung it on the nail he still owned. Soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the home back to the original owner. Just one nail. Well, what's the point? If we leave the flesh with even one peg in our life, it will return to hang its rotten garbage on it, making our life miserable and unfit for Christ's use. Just that one peg. Sometimes we allow that one nail, that one sin. And what happens? The flesh keeps using that. That's the point. That's the point that he, 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 the, the flesh stops you from having the peace and the joy and the contentment in your Lord. That is the one point that, that the flesh uses so that you are not useful to God. Just that one nail. So again, we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we are completely surrendered to Christ. Well, let's get back to Galatians chapter 5. Not only our freedom does not give us the right to be carnal, and these are going to have to move quickly. Look at verse 14. Well, actually, the last part of verse 13. But through love, serve one another. You are free. Now, this is how you are free. You are free to serve. You are free to serve out of love. Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are free to serve. That's what Christ has saved you, saved you to, not from. Saved you to. He saved you to serve. Serve out of love. Serve him out of love. Serve his people. By the way, when he says serve one another, if you love his people, excuse me, if you love God, you'll serve his people out of love. And this is where we get into all the one another's. And, you know, I find that this is such a huge subject. We're going to actually look at this next time, okay? Next time we get back in Galatians. But let me just say this about this. The one another's, because this is the first time in the book of Galatians that the one another's are used. But from here, he's going to start mentioning the one another's. Look at verse 15. Don't bite and devour one another. Don't be consumed by one another. Look at verse uh, 26. Let us become con- don't let us become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6, he says, bear one another's burden, verse 2. Okay. So from here, he's going to really be hitting the one another's. That's why I'm going to do it next. The, the one another's. What does the one another's mean? It means that because Christ has brought us into his body, into his family, now we're interconnected, interdependent. 
and we should, and our lives should be rubbing with each other. That's the whole point. I mean, I could start reading off all the one another's. There's like 60 places in the New Testament where we talk about the one another's. But the bottom line is this, because of time, it's that we, our lives should be rubbing with other Christians' lives. You know, so we stir up one another, we encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, receive one another, love one another, exhort one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, now I got the teenagers, you know, focused there. But the point is, it's all the one another's rubbing, lives rubbing to, uh, against other lives. N- never with this attitude of, um, well, you know, I, I come to church for the message and the music. No, no, we should come for that and that our lives would rub up against each other. I go to men's prayer because I, my life, it, I can share my life with some men. Home group, I share my life with some others, okay? That's how I have to look at it. I, if I just come in here, or if you just come in here, or you go to a, and, and your point of judgment is this, you know, this is why you do or do not. Well, I get a blessing. Do you see how selfish that is? It's not about the blessing. That, it's about you having fellowship and connectedness and sharing your life with other believers. So that's what, I mean, let's face it, before Jesus Christ, what was I? Selfish. Who didn't I care about? You. I mean, I was only 13 years old when I got saved. But I was selfish. I was focused on me. It was all about me. And if I had lived, you know, and I'd become 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, without Jesus Christ, you know what I would still have been focused on? Me. Right? Me. Didn't matter about the marriage. Sure, she's a great woman, but, you know, it better be a good marriage for me. My kids better behave because it's me and they better not do anything out there that's going to dishonor my name. Do you see how we can get like very selfish? Now, Christ saved me. I don't have to earn my salvation. That's legalism. I'm free. It's not just to free to do as I please. That'd be the other swing. No, no, I'm, I'm free to love God. I'm free to serve you. I don't have anything that I'm trying to earn to please him. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing it to please Him in the sense that I have to do it for my salvation. I'm free to serve. I'm free to love. You all are, right? So you're free to serve. And like like I said, well, you know, just ask the question of yourself. Are you, is your life being rubbed with other Christians? And by the way, sometimes when you rub, it's it's a hard rub. (laughs) There's friction, irritation. Sometimes you have to resolve conflict. That's good too. As, as we said at Membership Sunday, God puts a bunch of imperfect people together and brings on more imperfect people so that we would learn to love each other. It's part of the growth process. And then finally, let's close verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, there's again one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You're not free to indulge in conflict. That's the key. Conflict. You're not free to invo- uh, indulge yourself in conflict. Now, again, the context is the, the legalists, the Judaizers, had infiltrated the church and had created factions. And Paul's saying, listen, they're trying to bite and devour you. But again, we do the same thing as believers. By the way, do you see a progression here? It's like an animal that killed another animal. You bite and then you start devouring. That's progress. And then finally you consume. There's an actual progression here. You, 
What, what does the animal do? It bites. It takes the other animal down. And then it slowly eats it until it's totally consumed. John, what are you talking about? We're not like, we're not cannibals here. Well, wait a second here. As we said last week, with our voice, with our words, we can create factions and divisions and dissension. We can, we can, with gossip and all, we can start to bite and bring people down and ruin their character. And you start biting and you're devouring. And sometimes it gets like this, even within a church. There's so much frustration. Every time I see that person, it drives me crazy. And then actually it can almost turn to hate if it doesn't turn to hate. And then finally you consume. Maybe it's not in the church. And maybe he's not with a leader in the church. It might be with one of your family members. But the point is there's a progression. The biting is actually like when, you know, have you ever seen these animal shows, you know, where the jaguar jumps on the back end of a, you know, an antelope. You know, the antelope is just having fun, trying to eat. Right? But from there, the end result is, you know, a carcass. Some, some people walk around, if you could see their emotional state, they look like carcasses. Their spiritual state as well. Biting, I mean, this is something in Scripture. Remember this. This is happening in the Galatian church. You've got to believe it's happening in other churches, right? Let's not bite and devour. Let's not consume. You know, there was an interesting story. A zookeeper took a hot dog and threw it in the a pit of snakes. This, this is true. And the two, two, two big snakes started eating to the middle of the hot dog. And when they got to the middle, the bigger snake with the bigger mouth started literally eating the other snake. <laughs> no, literally, you know. Uh, all he said was, you know, that was a difference in the change in meat. You know, he just ate the whole thing. Literally, the Galatians were eating one another. I'm talking spiritually. They were waging civil war, but it wasn't civil. The truth is that pleasing yourself is church-destroying. That's the point of that first part of verse 15. It's church-destroying. But the second part is this, pleasing yourself, doing as I please, license, is self-destroying. Self-destroying. Because he ends by saying, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You, see, it's not just about destroying the church, but you yourself is destroyed. In other words, conflict in the church is a kind of spiritual suicide. Not homicide. Not homicide. That is also, but it's part of spiritual suicide. Because if we're a body, think about Corinthians 12. Remember? How how can the eye, what is it, the eye say to the foot, I don't have need of you? No, we need each other. You know, how can the ear say to the hand, I don't have need of you? No, no, we need each other. We're all interdependent. And when you hurt, what does it say? I should hurt. Well, if I'm causing the pain, I'm causing the pain not just to you, I'm causing the pain to Christ, and I'm causing the pain to myself. It's spiritual suicide. Sin is always self-destructive. The sin of divisiveness inevitably leads to the destruction of the church, which leads to the destruction of the people in the church. So, again, Paul says, be very, very, very careful how you treat each other. Otherwise, you can consume yourself. I'm always reminded of that famous story that Paul Harvey used to tell about licking the blade. You know the one I'm talking about? You know how you kill a wolf You know, up in, where, uh, up in Alaska where the Eskimos are? Let's say you have a wolf that just keeps, you know, being a nuisance and, you know, getting into stuff. I guess around here it would be like a bear. I don't think you can do this with a bear, though. But anyways, up there, 
you, they would take a, in fact, I meant to bring in a knife. But anyways, um, a knife, a good-sized knife, very sharp, sticking in blood. Up there, freeze it. Stick it in blood again. Freeze it. Just keep smearing the blood. Get it so that the blade is hid. Get it so that the blade is, is not only hid, but there's a lot of blood around there. You know, really, really thick. And then what they do is they take this long blade in the handle and jam it in the snow, actually in ice, and make sure it freezes there so it sticks up and it cannot be moved. Which again, sub-zero, you can do that. So now we got this blood-soaked, blood-painted knife. Well, make your blades up. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source, he licks the frozen blood. His carnivorous nature kicks in and and his appetite takes over. He looks faster and faster, more feverish. I mean, can you imagine? (laughs) The only problem is, before long, the blood is gone and the blood he's tasting is his own. True story. This This is how they did it. And when the Eskimo would come out the next morning, there would be the knife with a sharp blade exposed with a wolf who was dead right beside it. In other words, he didn't just get caught and leave. He, he kept licking and licking and licking till it killed him, till he couldn't lick anymore, till his strength was so small, so weak, that he literally fell right there. Boy, what a picture of sin. What a picture of self-destroying sin. What a picture of spiritual suicide. But the point is, I'm not even trying to make the main point as... That's personal sin. No, that's even how sin happens in the church. And I would say this, protect one another. Because we can start going down the path of what we say and how we treat each other to the point, it's not just killing you, it's not just killing the church, it's actually killing us, me, okay? When I hurt you, I hurt me too. Do we realize that? When I hurt you, I'm hurting myself as well. I'm hurting the Lord, but when I hurt you, I'm hurting myself as well. So again, we need to be very careful about protecting each other. How, how, what is the one of the ways I can do that? Well, again, guarding my tongue. But I would say this, pray. I have become more and more sensitized to prayer. You know, it is so, it is so refreshing for me to have, I'm going to say it this way, discover prayer. I mean, I've been in the ministry 20 plus years. It's not that I never prayed, but now I'm finding it more and more, it's such a... Weight off my shoulders. I can bless people around the world through praying for them. I just sometimes sit down, Lord, I just need to, you know, lift people up. I don't even know who. And then he brings people to mind. It is so refreshing just to be able to say, Lord, protect this person. I know what's going on in this life, in this life. You know, I trust that we're all doing that. That's what it should be, right? I I hope you're praying for me. I hope you're praying for the leadership, the deacons, the elders. Pray for one another. Because pray that we are not led into temptation. Pray that the wicked one would not have his way. He would love to destroy us individually and as a church. So maybe you're going down the road and you're maybe just wasting some time. Turn the radio off and, Lord, remind me of people to pray for. And in 10 minutes, 20 people you've just prayed for. No, we need to protect each other. One of the ways to do that is by praying. Do you love Christ enough to pray for his people? Do you love his people enough to pray for his people? I trust you do. Let's stand as we worship him.
Have you laid it all down? Are you still trying to become righteous with your own effort? That's an unbeliever right there. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You know, you can call out to him right now. If you sense your sin and your guilt against the holy God, you can put your faith and trust in the sacrifice of what Christ did on the cross, and he will save you right where you're at. You don't have to carry your guilt. Christ carried it for you if you receive him. You know, but as Christians, have you laid it all down? Have you left one nail up? And, it, and your flesh keeps using that one nail to hang all kinds of garbage. By the way, we'll never be perfect. But when we sin, we should not only confess, but forsake. And sometimes we confess it, but we know we'll be back pretty quick because we left the nail. We need to take the nail out. We need to say, you know, Lord, you have, you have saved me from sin and I am dead to sin. And I want to forsake that sin. Because I want to be pleasing you and I want to be useful to you. Have you laid it down? And the last thing, have you laid it down as far as how you treat each other? And again, that wolf ate him, or killed himself. And sometimes we shoot each other. What we say, what we do, or what we allow to be said. Are we willing to protect? Because again, as you are hurt, I am hurt. If I hurt you... I hurt myself. And we need to buy we need to understand buy into that. And we understand we need to understand that. Take very serious. God wants his body to be protected, his church to be protected. Have you laid that down? Have you laid down the fact that you know what? We are a bunch of imperfect people working together for God's glory. That's a marvelous thought. Because now I start understanding you. Well, of course you're gonna sin. You're imperfect. Of course I'm gonna sin. I'm imperfect. I don't make light of that, but I'm saying, listen. We struggle together because that's part of the sanctification process. That's good. Okay, we struggle together. Have you laid that down as far as, Lord, I'm committed to this body to serve and protect the body? Have you done that? I trust you have because that's what we've been called to. Freedom from sinning, freedom to love and serve one another. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. It's about God's glory and what he's doing in you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Convict us in areas that sometimes we get very sloppy in. Whether it's a sin that we just keep allowing because we really haven't forsaken. Or Lord, maybe how we treat each other. We know that in this book, for the rest of this book, we're going to be really looking at how we serve one another. Help us to do that. Help us to see the gifts that you've given us, the spiritual gifts, as part of that serving. Lord, help us be willing to sacrifice, to show our love for you on how we treat each other. Protect us, Lord. It's easy for our flesh to rear its ugly head. And yet we know that we have the victory through Christ. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.